What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your wrap-up of the decade today. Uh, we're going to be looking at TV from the last 10 years. And I'm joined with my co-host to whittle down our top 10 list, Dave Martin, Swagger Dave. Can you believe we're wrapping up TV for the decade of the 10s? I can, because we just did it for a movie, so make sure you check that out. YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, everywhere else. But yeah, it's a end of the decade talk once again. It's uh, pretty wild. I think this was actually the easier list to construct. Movies was quite daunting. TV, though, uh, TV's really changed the last few years. The beginning part of the decade's quite different. Yeah, and I think I think the thing that feels initially daunting about putting this list together is what what shows are actually included in this decade. Which ones do you have to kind of cut it out into the past decade because a lot of the you know peak tv shows started at the end of the aughts and ran into the tens um however following alan Seppenwall, a critic that we both appreciate and follow um we're going to be only including shows who uh the majority of their episodes are in the 2010s and who had no more than two seasons in the aughts um so that excludes shows like 30 rock Mad Men, The Office, um, but still a lot of quality at the top of this list. Um, Dave, we're going to be counting down 10 to 1. I'm going to give you the floor to start. What's your number 10? My number 10 is a show that I have not yet finished because it is still airing. I believe there's three episodes left or four, three, I believe. Mr. Robot. Uh, only four seasons. Sam S. Smiles' breakout show, the breakout role for Rami Malek, of course, who won an Emmy for this long before he won Best Actor for playing Freddie Mercury last year. Um, and Mr. Robot, I think, is an interesting show because it initially, I think, people thought the potential was even higher, and th- with that first season, you know, I don't think it ever truly became a transcendent show we kind of talked about this when this new season uh last final season started back up but even though it never quite met those initial lofty heights we might have uh laid out for it it always made you think and was always just interesting and entertaining and on top of that because that smile is such a talented uh showrunner and has a great eye for the camera you get like such cool flourishes and bottle episodes, episodes where no one speaks and uh, just total bit episodes. And there's, there's so much cool, cool flavor that he brings to the show. And of course, Rami's incredible in the lead performance as uh, Elliot Alderson. So yeah, Mr. Robot number 10, I think, you know, it's a, it's a pick for me. There's a lot of TV to pick, Um, but it's always a show I've rode, rode for and thought was under, underwatched after season one. I had Robot at 12, so it didn't fall in my top 10. But when I think about Robot, I think about the style of it mostly. Um, you know, and you talked about how Eshmael kind of adds his own different flourishes or techniques to each episode that really bring out something different. Um, but the, the camera framing, I remember, was something that really stood out to me. And, you know, especially like having these cool backdrops or sometimes even just blank, but somehow still interesting backdrops uh, with the character speaking off center uh, of the, the shot, which I always thought was fascinating. Um, 
and yeah there's just so many moments of the show that stand out whether it's the the f society person or the guy who was forced by f society to put the mask on and burn all the cash while Mm, um take me home (laughs) is playing in the background or you know the the episode where ellie is trying to get out of the the building on uh i forgot what the the date of the attack is and uh, it's like the tracking shot as he's trying to escape yes yes. i think 11 9 yeah i forget maybe yeah Yeah, yeah. something like that um and then there's of course just like the the a lot of the moments with joey badass where like (laughs) you know the end of season was a season three or season four where they're all in that that barn together it's just Mm -hmm. it's awesome so uh, great pick. Definitely deserve it of being in the top 10. Um, and I'm looking forward to see how it ends. Number 10 for me, though, a show we have not talked about because it ended before we started podcasting, Community um, with Dan Harmon. Now, they did have the uh, the reboot on Yahoo TV. Uh, Yahoo like Screen. A couple episodes, Yahoo Screen, um, which R-I-P. is not even a thing anymore. <laughs> uh, but... Community, um, the first season, season and a half, was uh, in 2009. Uh, but when it really hit stride was after that first season. And, man, there are so many unforgettable episodes of this show. Um, following a pretty stacked cast of Joel McHale, Donald Glover, as he was just becoming really mm. famous, Jillian Jacobs, Danny Putty. Ken Jeong. Allison Brie. I mean, uh, and Chevy Chase is like the, the mm. forgotten person in there. Um, and a lot <laughs> Both of good people, and bad. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of what people I think remember about community now is there were a lot of behind scenes issues, both with Harmon and with the cast um, near the end of the show's run. But prior right. to that, Harmon made this like self-aware 30 minute comedy that was at, at one point, uh, in one part, a, a critique of television and comedies in particular, while also being a really like heartfelt show talking, at, touching on some really uh important subjects in a way that was just really engaging to watch i mean it when i was writing down how like my favorite episodes i I think i got to like 10 before i was like i can't just keep naming episodes off (laughs) when when i'm talking about this but like remedial chaos theory you know the the multiple timelines one is is a a meme or a gift that people use all the time now um advanced dungeons and dragons uh awesome episode really gets to let ken jeong really go off in that one and then Modern Warfare, where they have like the paintball uh, at the end of every episode, just really, really great. And that's not even been touching on probably one of the most critically acclaimed episodes of the show, which was a, a spoof on Dinner with Andre. Um, just really uh, loved Community, loved it in college. Uh, was sad to see it kind of come to an end, but certainly one of the best of the decade. Number nine, Dave, for you, unless you have some thoughts on Community. I've seen I've seen only a few bits of community to be honest, so it was not a consideration for me. But uh, it's funny, and yeah, uh, seems to be a uh, one of those comedies that age really nicely. So yeah, I think people definitely agree with you on this one. But uh, my sure. number nine is a show I have not finished, which might be blasphemous to some. It might be blasphemous to me when I look back on this, but that would be uh, the Americans. And, you know, not to belabor the point, but I haven't finished it. But I know that this show that really has only grown in estimation, grown in acclaim as the show continued to air over its six season run, which just ended last year. And 
he was kind of famous for always being underwatched, underrecognized. Critics kept it alive. Mm-hmm. Ratings were never great. The Emmys did not give him much attention at all till the end. And then, of course, uh, uh, was it uh, Matthew Reese? Yep, did win for the final season, and I believe they also won for writing. And I think that's really what stood out to me. American just had incredible writing that was able to like just make this material so engaging. Where it's a show about, I mean, it's a show about you know sleeper agents spies but it's not really that bold b and even if you're doing all this spy craft it's really just the the episode episode scripts that are really keeping the show up and and the plot going so you know having that with reese and carrie russell just really do dynamite performances yeah the americans Uh, i think it's uh again a show that i still need to finish but you know it's you just kind of watch it all the time and you're like fuck yeah this is just this incredible plotting you know yeah, the the Americans is a show that I didn't put in my top fifteen only because I hadn't finished the the series yet. But by all accounts, um, they they landed the ending, which is always yes. difficult for shows like this. And uh, I I can't wait to finish it. I'm sure once I do, it will fall somewhere in my top fifteen, if not top ten. Um, my number nine though is a show we've talked about here on the podcast before, Veep, uh, created by Armando Iannucci. Obviously, I I don't think he was the showrunner for all seasons of the show. He certainly was not, but David Mandel the, by the end, the thing that was consistent about it was the cast, Julie Louis Dreyfus at the helm, uh, you know, surrounded by Tony Hale, Timothy Simons, Matt Walsh, uh, Anna Chomsky, Reed Scott, and in later seasons, Sam Richardson. Um, man, this is just uh, one of the sharpest comedies of the decade. And the writing on this show, especially by the later seasons, I mean, it was always incredibly sharp at the pen, but I think in the later seasons when almost every single back and forth was bringing in context from earlier seasons and just cutting and zinger after zinger after zinger um, while still having these characters who are just absolutely awful people be likable was uh, really impressive. And I, uh, I think they, they wrapped up the show beautifully. I've seen the, the ending and we talked about how the last episode I think was a nice send off and a good way to wrap it all up. Um, and yeah, you can jump in and find a good uh, episode or, or a funny moment every, almost every single time you watch. Um, anything from Veep that stands out to you did it make your top 10? It did, yeah. I had it at five. Um, so I didn't put Parks and Rec on this list, a show I haven't seen all of. But I kind of think of Parks and Veep in the same way, where they just kind of represent that like Obama era comedy. Mm-hmm. And we actually talked about this with Veep, where when satirizing uh, the White House kind of changed for obvious reasons, changed administration recently. Um, that being said, the, the energy that those two shows kind of carry, um, I think it really spoke to the moment and kind of really, they really fit in like this decade, you know? Um, but yeah, as you said, you know, just dynamite, uh, dynamite cast and just really hilarious. So, yeah. you know, not that complicated sometimes. <laughs> and uh, and it, it, you were talking about the era that it began and kind of where it ended up. Um, when it when it started, people talked about how this was probably the most accurate show to how politics actually runs <laughs> in D.C. Yeah, and I think by the end, it was actually almost like too real how it ran. So um, certainly a, a show that not only was funny and sharp, but also somewhat based in reality. Um, let's move on to number eight then, Dave. What do you got? Number eight. It just ended. Fleabag. Wow, low. 
Fleabag fell to number six for me. I was, was going to have a top five, too. Yeah, I think it's just the currency aspect, uh, a recency aspect. I just, I just instinctively put it here. Mm-hmm. Um, partially because I think the impact for this show has been so recent that when you're making a decade list, um, that's just kind of how it came into it. But yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a transcendent show, and the second season is truly like a Hall of Fame season of TV, only two six-episode seasons, 30 minutes. Shout out to English people. They like their, their TV show short. We appreciate that. But, I mean, we uh, talked at length about season two, so we won't, don't need to really belabor too much of that. But Phoebe Waller-Bridge really leveled up at by the end with this show, and it was able to challenge the relationship between the protagonist and the audience while having the protagonist question her relationships with her peers in the actual show. And it's just really impressive way to break the fourth wall. They had never seen before and done such a great way. And also it has an amazing ending as well. Yeah. So, um, Fox. yeah, so I mean, overall it's just, it's so funny and the acting is so good. The writing is so good mm-hmm. that you understand why people clamor for more of it. I think ultimately people are like, no, this this ended in, in, in the right way, and it seems like Phoebe is happy to let the show uh, lie where it ended, and I hope that's the case. But yeah, Fleabag for me, number eight, but definitely willing to move it up. We'll see, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, even having a six for me felt like, how can I leave it out of my top five? Um, and, and you touched on most of the points I had down. I think the one thing that this show does so when making my list, I also wanted to kind of pull in like historical context. And this is the show that will forever be the show that put Phoebe Waller-Bridge on the map. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after the show, she was in a star Wars movie. She just edited the bond script. She got a deal where she's writing for HBO or Netflix. Yep. I, I can't remember yep. HBO. I think she show ran the first season of killing Eve. Yep. <laughs> so, um, and, and wrote, uh, it's, I mean, just incredible, uh, her rise and, it feels her her potential feels uh, limitless at the moment, which is just incredibly exciting. Um, and when you think about the show, there's so many funny moments, and they really, I think, balance the the humor with uh, the introspection of this broken person and really a broken family. Um, mm-hmm. And the second season in particular stands out to me as a great reflection on um, faith. Um, choosing faith or love uh, the sacrifices we make in our lives for the things that we believe in. It's just, uh, it's a class, it's a masterclass in, in film uh, TV making, I guess we could say filmmaking in some respect and definitely uh, a show that deserves to be in a top 10 list. Good, good pick Dave. My number eight, I'm guessing it's not going to be on your list. So I'll get to vamp a little bit more. The good place. Michael Shore created show and he's show running this as well. From 2016 to 2019. Yeah, The Good Place, um, you know, I noticed at the end of my list, so I really tried to fit some comedies in here as well, especially because the movie list was devoid of that. And I found myself gravitating towards comedies in TV a little bit more. And The Good Place kind of fits a nice niche. You know, when it first premiered, I thought, oh, it's another one of those like crappy sitcoms on NBC that um, probably is going to flame out pretty quickly or have a long run but people are going to kind of mock for the stupidity of it but this is really a a show on philosophy and about the human condition 
um, masked as a 30 minute comedy about these ridiculous people. And Kristen Bell, Ted Danson, DRC Corden, Jamia, Jamil, uh, uh, Manny Jaquinto, and William Jackson Harper as the main cast are have such great chemistry and the dynamic that they build makes you want to just keep coming back for more and for more. Um, the one critique I, I guess I have of the show, and this is, I think just a bit of like the, the storytelling in these sort of serialized shows at this point is there's always a cliffhanger at the end of every, every episode. So you're always just kind of like, Oh, what's going to happen next? Um, which is definitely made to like support binge watching and knowing that this is a, a show. A lot of people have found on Netflix post its, its release. Um, but still, the, the creativity of this show, talking about life after death and kind of like what it means to be a good person, how you can become a good person, um, and how people elevate when they're open and, and around with each other. It's just phenomenal. And, you know, you mix in the humor with it that you get in any Michael Shore comedy. It's, it's, a, it's a delight to watch. So I highly recommend it. I know you haven't watched it, but if you can ever make it to it, I think you'd enjoy it. What is your number seven, Dave? Number seven for me is an interesting pick. It's Twin Peaks The Return from 2017. Now, you might think Twin Peaks, that came out once, and you would be right. There was two seasons of Twin Peaks in the early 90s. But I think this show, this 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 has kind of been, you know, it's billed as Twin Peaks The Return, also called Twin Peaks Season 3. I think it's really more of a revival and while certainly continuing some threads from Twin Peaks before, also is very much its own thing. So I'm counting it, but you know we make the rules, so whatever. So, but yeah, I mean there was Twin Peaks before, but Twin Peaks Return, which was number number one or two for me in 2017, I, I think it was one. And it's David Lynch really kind of getting to end end what he started. And it's a show that I think if you watch the first Twin Peaks, you have a great appreciation for. I had only watched it leading up to this. Again, I was not old enough to actually watch Twin Peaks when it aired at the time. But it's a show that makes you think a lot because sometimes you have no idea what the fuck is going on. That's the <laughs> David Lynch of it all. It's, you know, it's part of the charm. Mm -hmm. But there's just wild visuals, crazy plotting. And honestly, the, the Dougie stuff is just so funny. Dougie Jones, like the alter ego for Kyle. And I think one, one of the, the black and white episode, I forget which number it was, was honestly, I think it's, it's in my like Hall of Fame for best television episodes, one of the craziest, uh, most impressive things I ever saw. Um, that, that was insane. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's in it, Laura Dern is in this season too. And of course, you know, everyone knows she's been on a heater for the last like, four years. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard to really talk about it without really spoiling anything, and a lot of the spoilers won't make sense to people that haven't seen it. But like, it's and it won't be everyone's cup of tea because of how weird it is. But it's, I think, it's Lynch like actually delivering like the good weird. So yeah, Twin Peaks: The Return, number seven on Showtime. Um, definitely not on my list. Still haven't watched it, but Twin Peaks is one of those eternal shows that I say I'm going to catch up on, and uh, I'm never going to maybe I, I should prioritize it for sure so maybe maybe this january um however my number seven is a show i know that you've watched we've talked about before fargo um it's mm. the only anthology series that falls on to my same that's my number six 
number six. Okay, so we're, we're close on this one. Um, Noah Hawley, uh, 2014 to present. And man, so when Fargo first came out, right, it felt like it was like kind of shot out of a cannon in a sense, right? It had some high profile castings yep. go along with it. You had Martin Short, Billy Bob Martin, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman, I'm sorry. Bilbo. Uh, Martin Short would have been <laughs> hilarious. Um, uh, Billy Bob Thornton, um, Colin Hanks. Uh, and right, yes. The first season was really, really good. Um, and we were left like, you know, it kind of retold the movie in a way. And we were like, okay, this is this is really quality filmmaking. And then they said, okay, season two is coming back. Going to be a similar story, but not going to be the same thing. Right. And you're like, oh, it's really intriguing. And then it, it's kind of a it's a prequel in a sense, right? To you mm-hmm. know, the, the through line is Patrick yep. Wilson um, and Ted Danson from season to season. And boy, that season two of Fargo is still some of the most perfect filmmaking yeah. I can remember. And what that's in my Hall of Fame for seasons, Fargo yeah. season two, basically <laughs> it, flawless. It's crazy. I, and that that's a good that's a really interesting thing to bring up, like Hall of Fame seasons, because I, I was going through a bunch of the shows and I was like, oh, this is one of the best seasons of the TV of the decade. And I kept saying that. But then I got to this one. I was like, man, that season two is pretty much perfect. Um, and of course, another stack cast, Kirsten Dunst, Patrick Wilson, Jesse Plemons, mm-hmm. Gene Smart. Ted, I mean, just uh, uh, Bokeem Woodbine. Yep. And the way that, that they leave it is so like open you know uh the ending that it there's there's some resolution but there's also a lot kind of just like left for you to figure out it's just so brilliantly brilliantly done season three a bit of a i think a bit of a step down but still really really great mm-hmm. you know you had ewan mcgregor and carrie coon david, david Dulles, mm-hmm. um really strong from season to season and always engaging and with a really distinct style that i think does the movie justice, but still makes it its own. And it's kind of propelled Holly to greater things or maybe not greater things, but just as good things, you know, mm-hmm. uh, recently released Lucy in the sky. Um, obviously Star- we've talked about Legion. Star Trek four coming. That's the Star glow Trek. up you got. Yeah. So, uh, just a really great series. You had it at number six. Anything I missed or anything you want to add? Um, yeah, I think this is, and this really kicked off that um, anthology wave that we got the back half of the decade, right? You know, I think of American Crime Story, American Horror mm-hmm. Story, um, Feud, like a, a lot of stuff around FX, to be honest. But like, it became kind of a, like a theme that made a lot of sense. Where people can really lock in with some kind of thing they can eat. Initially, graphs, like the marketing is easy, yeah. but it's different, right? But in this case, it was connected, at least the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. And it's also a really expert use of IP when you don't think it's IP. It's like, oh, they're bringing back Fargo? Why? And they didn't have to call this Fargo. This just helped get it made, right? Really, like, right. it's its own thing. So, you know, I think one, one of the most more genius uses of an IP or making something into an IP. I mean, we just were coming off the Playmobil movie completely bombing. Not everything that's a brand <laughs> is IP. But, you know, I think credit really goes to Holly. And the balls with FX to uh, really greenlight this. Um, and we're going to get season four in 2020 with Chris Rock. Again, exciting, even though season three was definitely the weakest of the bunch. Um, with the talent involved, I think you just, Holly deserves a very long leash. Mm-hmm. And we, we know he didn't really go for it after watching Legion. So, yeah, I think this is, I'd, I'd say Fargo season two in particular is probably the best you know, anthology series slash limited series season of the 
of the of the decade. There's a lot to pick from, of course, but that's what I would go with. Uh, well said. And now we're moving on. I think you already said my number six, which was Fleabag. What do you have at number six? Six is Fargo for me, Fargo. and five is Veep for me. So five for me, Game of Thrones. I mean, I, I know this is on five, your list. Huh? Where'd you have it? Number one? Game of Thrones is number one for me. Wow. It wasn't, wasn't hard at all. Interesting. So uh, I'm going to give you the floor mostly. Uh, Thrones at its peaks is the best TV show of the decade. I think where I, I docked it a few spots is um, pretty much everything I have in front of it uh, of what was in the 2010s. I don't really have a, a bad thing to say. Whereas Thrones, I think the the lows of the show and specifically I think some of the the later seasons, the writing errors, the the pacing errors, just docked it enough where I was like, mm-hmm. okay, it's still my top five, but it's going to be the back end of my top five. But man, that like was like seasons like three through six are, or like at least three through five are just pretty much perfect television. Just so three and, thrilling. Three and four in particular, the seasons yeah. that are adapting Storm of Swords. Um, right. In completely thrilling fashion. Yep. Yeah. But you had a number one. Make the case. Yeah, so part of this is because let's think about the decade. Game of Thrones is like it is, is the show of the decade to me because it was the show that had everyone's attention the longest this decade. Mm-hmm. Breaking Bad, as you might expect, is coming up. Um, Breaking Bad ended in the spring of twenty. No, this this was twenty thirteen. Yeah, fourteen. Yeah, early. Right, mm-hmm. the leftovers only on three years. Not like not watched that much. I think you're right. Game of Thrones has some low points. We've discussed um, the past few seasons at length on the show, including the final season. Our thoughts are well well documented in the final season, every episode and the end. So check that out, youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. But in general, Thrones, you know, it's kind of the, it's not the first binge watch show, but I think it's the show that people most vigorously binge watch. Mm-hmm. And also, in a way, kind of became the flag bearer for why binge watching is not the preferred method for, I think, more and more people. Sure. Where if you watch Game of Thrones week to week, like I did, like millions of people did, you had all these amazing moments that a lot of times you didn't see coming because you didn't read the books. Um, you had them sit with you for a week, mm-hmm. or if it was a finale, for a year plus. And it was the show you talked about the most with people. And, you know, we talked a lot about how the peak TV era, 500 plus scripted shows a year, uh, linear television model is just dead. Live ratings are down. Young people don't watch shit live. It's all on demand, right? Monocultural shows matter because they're rare. And Game of Thrones was literally the last of that and also the biggest of that. For sure. So that's why. And of course, the quality, as you said, you know, the most daunting of text at the time adapted in an incredible way and i think it was still i think i think you know we harp on the ending a lot and which is crazy because it feels like that was years ago and that was like five months ago (laughs) six months ago right you're right absolutely um and the whole like George R. R. Martin factor too, and how those books were ended. You know, it's a very complicated legacy that's still not still not. You know, the book is not finished, but it's it's a show that represents the decade to me, and that's why I have it number one. But 
you know, I, I don't quibble with people that would prefer some of the other obvious choices due to, um, you know, some quality dips and stuff. But yeah, I think uh, Thrones, it's uh, it's hard to it's hard to deny what it accomplished along the run and the legacy it's going to leave behind. So Game of Thrones, number one. I mean, it's the most decorated TV show of all time. That's right. So I think that speaks for itself. And you talked about the monoculture of it, right? Um, even shows like Succession or Watchmen on HBO that mm-hmm. garner a lot of attention. It's not to the same level. I mean, after people caught up by season like three or four, it was every week people were just theorizing about it, reading about it. The forums were just going nuts for it. It's, it, it really was just like a mammoth in, in the zeitgeist mm-hmm. for the 2010s. So it's a great choice for number one. Um, I think it's undeniable the impact it had for sure. And just one last thing. What happens at the end of season one, you know, in Baylor when Ned meets his end uh, again, mm-hmm. spoilers for the beginning of game of Thrones. We, I don't give a shit if you don't know what happens <laughs> by now for real. Um, that's a transcendent te- television episode because that had not been done before on TV. And yes, this is an adaptation of what George did. And George gets a lot of the credit for this, but changing audience expectations in such a major way, and then literally doing it again in two seasons with Rob Stark mm-hmm. and Red Wedding, um, also changed TV and storytelling forever. Because mm-hmm. we never, in a major way, would believe that the, the protagonist, the lead POV, could go out that way. And, the, and we, your expectations for the story could be changed in such a big way. You have mostly unknown to popular culture uh, actors and then you have Sean Bean who's like right. the lead and you take him out at the end of season one just unbelievable and it, like you said it put everything on the table um, which most shows didn't do um, and boy uh, it's it's really an achievement it's a great choice so you made a great argument for being number one um, I still feel confident with it being five uh, what was your number five so, Veep. Veep okay so we talked about five four for me Parks and Recreation. I'm going to vamp a little bit more. Second time, Michael Shore is going to be coming up in mm-hmm. my list. Does this make your top 10? No, like I said, I didn't finish it, so I went with Veep instead. I think about those shows in the same way. But yeah, Par- Parks and Rec is uh, incredible. Um, and yeah, we the, the cast is fantastic, and <laughs> it, it's a show that got better as it went. And Michael Shore is now one of the most wealthy and uh, also successful showrunners we have, especially in comedy. Mm-hmm. and for good reason i think actually parks and rec benefits the most from the rules on this list because that first season similar to the office's first season doesn't hit the same way the, the second through however many seasons leslie's does. just different yeah in they, a bad way. yeah she's basically like clueless michael scott um but then leslie becomes uh very proficient at her job even more so she's very good at her job and she has this like manic energy played by amy poehler obviously expertly that really drives the show in the heart of it she's a very sweet person with these uh, awesome ideals and especially during uh, an obama for an obama era tv show very felt very in line for i think um the way a lot of people felt there was a lot of hope a lot of idealistic uh, perspectives especially uh, liberal perspectives that i think the show talks about while also kind of pulling in some of the middle America culture into the show. Um, and then of course you, you put it in the hands of Nick Offerman, Aziz Ansari, Chris Pratt, Aubrey Plaza, Adam Scott, Rob Lowe, just to name, uh, you know, uh, 
half the cast probably. Right. And <laughs> you, you, there's no way this show uh, could have failed, I think. And um, really, it, there's so many pieces of this show that are just such a delight to watch. And every time Parks and Rec is on, uh, and I stumble across it on TV, I find myself watching for at least 10 minutes, if not the whole episode, just because um, who doesn't love Ron? Like, or, you know, who doesn't want to see Aziz be ridiculous? N- not to even mention, like, my favorite bit character of the decade is probably Jean Ralphio. Uh, just uh, so much about this show is fantastic. And really, uh, after The Office, this was probably the best, like, comfort food TV show, so to speak. Um, that that's been made in my opinion. So Parks and Rec, number four for me. Uh, where are we at with your list? Number four? Yes, number four for me. Show that's still ongoing. We'll return next year. Atlanta. Number three for me. Hell yeah. Let's do it. Uh, I say this a lot, but I say it because people still need to be reminded that <laughs> it's the best thing Donald Glover's ever done. And there's a lot of Donald Glover fans. He's a mainstream figure at this point. There's a lot of Donald Glover fans that have never watched Atlanta. And frankly, it shows. (laughs) Watch this fucking show, you morons. It's so good. Um, Yeah, when I... So a lot of what I found myself doing with these is I kept thinking about certain episodes. Mm -hmm. But with this, I just... I kept jumping around from episode to episode. Like, oh, that that moment was so fucking good. Or when he's driving with the barber and he he won't shut the fuck up. Like, I love that episode. Or I love how... um, him and Zazie Beats uh, are, you know, fight in that like one where they're at the German compound. And it feels like a Get Out uh, adjacent episode. This just oh, the creativity of this show is just incredible. You, I think what really stands out for me with Atlanta is that you never know what you're going to get mm-hmm. each week, and that's a completely positive thing. It changes. It changes what it is and what you can do. And that's what I think makes the show really transcendent special. It was my number one show of 16 and 18 for, for two seasons so far um, for that reason. You know, you think Teddy Perkins, you think of the episode uh, where, you, where you think Drake's going to show up, you know, like, yeah. th- th- again, you said there's just so many moments in the, every like, episode. Community pro- uh, programming or local TV programming episode where yes yes that episode is fantastic mm-hmm. it's like the third episode of the show right I mean Alligator Man you know starting <laughs> off the season you know yeah. there's so many um, Florida Man is actually something that is like in the culture now from the yeah. show absolutely and I think yeah I think p- part of it's just the writing it's an incredibly talented writers room uh, Glover is not the only one responsible for that obviously um, and you have that with a really impressive quartet of, of actors, you know, Glover, um, not his best role because Ern has to be more down the middle a lot, but Ern is still, I think really good. Mm-hmm. Of course, the best, the best part of the show would be Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Paperboy, I think is kind of an instant classic as far as characters goes. And songs. The journey, the, yeah. <laughs> songs, songs, a banger shout out, uh, <laughs> Stephen Glover, but like the journey he goes on, especially in season two, incredibly layered. It's an amazing performance. We love Brian Tyree Henry. And then Lakeith Sandfield as well. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, goes without saying. And Zazie Beats, who we want to get even more of on this show. This was her breakout. Yep. And ultimately, it's just, like, it's just the, the intelligence of the jokes week to week. You know, the bit. Like it's, it may, sometimes it's a show about just about bits in an episode, right? But it just 
you know, it's just kind of out, outlandish. You know? And again, being that it's a black show with a black writer's room, its view on modern America is a view we don't get enough of. And the perspectives you get on the show, I think, are really valuable while also being hilarious. So, yeah, is just, you talk about it forever. So good. It, it really is. And for a show that's so creative and stylistic and really, uh, we've, I've, this is my, my, cat, my catchword for the day, but engaging on so many mm-hmm. levels, for it to also then pull in these themes and talk about it so smartly, I mean, um, Robin season wasn't even something I was like fully aware of until sure. they brought it up. And then I think, I feel like people that watch it now understand why this is an issue in, at this time of year for people and, and something down in this part of the country, you know, the Southern Eastern Southeastern part of the country. That is a real issue. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, there's really not much more you can say about it. People haven't said because it's, it's been dissected and talked about, and I miss it when it's not there, but and I find myself thinking about so many of the episodes so often. You mentioned Teddy Perkins, like that episode just sticks in your brain after you watch it for a while because there's, there's so much going on there. And obviously it's Glover and prosthetics and makeup just being weird and creepy and ridiculous. Um, but in like the best way possible. And that's the what you can say about the show. No matter what they do, they always do it in like the best way possible, it feels like. So we didn't even really mention Lakeith Stanfield, who you know, we just talked about Knives Out. Everyone who is like a main character in the show has gone on to do amazing, amazing work. And oh, like, yeah. Their star is only going upwards. I just think about the Brian Tyree Henry scene in Beale Street last year. Yeah. Like, he steals like the movie for like 10 minutes. It's amazing. Incredible. Um, my number three was Atlanta. What did you have at number three? My number three is The Leftovers. My number two. Hell yeah. So, yeah, I had this and Twin Peaks at the top for 2017. Uh, Leftovers was a show that I caught up with, or caught up for, you know, the final season. Um, You know, initially it was a show that I wrote off when it came out because a lot of the the reception to season one was quite mixed. Um, That would be because season one's a tough hang. Yeah. It's it's dre- it's dreary. It's dread. It's about sadness. It's about grief. People feeling empty and, and grieving, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not not for everyone. So I understand that. And I, and you know, me watching it in more condensed pace, it didn't really sit with me that way. But I was I think I was aware of all the criticism at the time. And you know, this show had a lot riding on it, as Dame Lindelof's second show, his follow up to Lost. You know, he did some Hollywood work in between, but this was his return to TV. And with season, the level up the show takes with season two and continues with season three, again, only a three season show, um, is really one of the most impressive things you see in terms of a show really upping its ante. Um, and, you know, anchored by, you know, I think in terms of like Hall of Fame performances, throwing that out, like the Hall of Fame performance, I think Carrie Coon as Norris, definitely one of those. And then Justin Thoreau as Kevin, perhaps. His best role, certainly his best work in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it gave us, you know, a lot, a lot of new new faces as well, like Mark Qualley, um, mm-hmm. but then other vets like Christopher Eccleston and memorable cameos and stuff like Bill Camp in the final season. He can go on out with the cast, but I mean, and Dowd in the first yeah, two seasons, sure. Yep, and who continued this kind of run? She went on with Handmaid's Tale as well. Mm-hmm. Um, leftovers. 
was I think it was it was a, such a win for Damon and just just in, t- in general because people that are fans of the show and I think everyone who watched it and finished it would feel this way is that you didn't want to know the answers to the mysteries at the end, right? No. Like the lost, everyone was so caught up with the why and the how, right? And that dominated the water cooler discussion and ultimately discussion about how the show ended. With leftovers, the 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 how about the rapture was never the point. And through season two and three, you just feel so rewarded when you stop worrying about that and you learn about how the characters come to grips with that, right? Mm-hmm. And along the way, you get, I believe it was episode seven of the final season, International Assassin. Again, one of those Hall of Fame episodes. Mm-hmm. Truly, you did not something you did not expect to, to happen. And then once you watch it, you know, it's just totally mind blowing thing. Mm-hmm. And then a, an amazing finale, one of the best finales I've ever seen. Yep. You know, in terms of the, the, the I believe you at the end, mm-hmm. just an incredible way to wrap the story. I think that, that plotting and the way those arcs converge and end is just really impressive. So, yeah, the leftovers um, definitely show, I think, people like to reflect on a lot, you know. Yeah. It's really fun yeah. to talk about to this day. Leftovers was initially my number one, and I moved it to number two because I, we're going to talk about Breaking Bad in a second. I'll spoil my list a bit, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was it was tough to not put it number one. It's the show I think about the most out of any TV show I've watched in the past decade, and probably the mo- TV show I think about the most just period, because I think it, it speaks so much about um, something that obviously I deal with on a day-to-day basis in my regular job as a therapist, but also just the idea of like, vulnerability and grief and loss and trauma and how we process that and how it inhibits <clears throat> sorry how it inhibits our ability to connect with others and you talk you know as you were kind of recalling all these epic moments and that really made the leftovers such a amazing show i found myself just kind of falling back into those moments and a lot of like the the different feelings i had with it and i think that's the thing that lindelof did so perfectly with the show is after season one he really finds this footing where tv is better when it's weird and there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in the leftovers but it always brought me back to a grounded place where i found myself reflecting on what does this mean for me how do i sit with this and how do how do i reflect on this and it's it's just a it's it's probably my my favorite show of the decade if it's not my number one it's uh, it's because Breaking Bad is just so undeniable to me. Um, but goddamn, man, like, like you said, that last moment, but especially like International Assassin, the way Justin Thoreau breaks down as he's singing Homeward Bounds, uh, for karaoke to get, you know, out of the afterlife. That moment just always, I, I go back and watch that scene frequently. It's just so good. Um, yeah. And Lindelof now with Watchmen, I wanted to ask you, did you consider Watchmen for like a even close to your top 10? I did. I think that that says a lot because that's a show that the finale is airing this Sunday. We haven't seen it yet. It's only one season. Yeah. So to even consider that, I think, is effusive in praise. Yep. But you know, if you think about just Damon in general this decade with Leftovers and Watchmen, it's almost it 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 makes so much sense the way Watchmen is gone because it's you know what just what interests Damon and what doesn't. Yeah. Like the way, and this little Watchmen uh, aside, real quick, but like the way he introduces all this kind of world building secondhand. Mm-hmm. But the show is never about getting those things 
explained to you in detail. And you, you can read the HBO PDP thing if you really want to find out more of that granular stuff. But it's it's about the characters and it's about why they view things they do in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And just kind of getting getting and well, Watchmen in case it, you know you're getting a, a commentary on real life society as well. I think Leftovers is not quite as obvious yeah. in that um, secondary lens, but you can still kind of see where Damon stands and everything. And in terms of like singular vision for a show, he's probably at the top of the list for, you know, showrunners, right? I mean, I guess David Lynch just because it's so obviously in left field at all times, but like, like Damon is in true command at all times. It's yeah. really cool to see him just, it feels like he can do anything he wants right now. Yeah. Watchmen would have been my number 15 if we did a top 15. Um, and man, that, that show, I can't wait to talk about the wrap up, uh, next week about it because it's, it's incredible. And yeah, Damon, for lack of a better word, I think, and I think you described this well, but like, I don't want to sound like a snob, but he makes smart TV and he, he doesn't treat the viewer like, like you need your handheld. And I, I love that about watching his show. So definitely a delight. And then, uh, you already talked about your number one, so I'm guessing your number two is Breaking Bad. Correct. My number one. Um, yeah, Vince Gilligan. Now, when we're doing this, you lose like the first season and a half or so, um, which isn't that bad of a thing because the first season, though, mm-hmm. still a great season of TV. Pilot's really good. Yeah, it, it, it has some, some ups and downs through it, you know, leading up to a, a big finale, which I think kind of... Uh, showed what what the show could potentially be but it really starts to find it, its stride in season two and specifically uh, three four and five to me are just like that run of television is peak peak tv it's it's the gold standard in a lot of ways and i think the thing that breaking bad did so well you know it it balanced a lot of different characters and their arcs and how the things going on affected all of them felt so real um, but it kept the overall arc of the show and the direction it was going, um, paced really beautifully with episodes each week that were just really fun to watch or really tense or really thrilling. Um, and it somehow made watching people cook meth just really, really interesting. And then of <laughs> course you pull in like all the, the cartel stuff you pull in, all the Gus Fring stuff. Um, obviously, you have Giancarlo Esposito and Jonathan Banks just being awesome in the show. And then Anna Gunn and Dean Norris just playing mm-hmm. these class act uh, side roles. And mm-hmm. I mean, we, we didn't get to talk about it on the pod. Obviously, this is, I think, really the first time we've gotten to like really break down our thoughts on Breaking Bad. But right. I mean, I don't. I don't think we're the only people that are ever going to be talking about this show. <laughs> it's <laughs> going to forever be remembered. You had it number two. Uh, oh, I guess we should talk about it a little bit with El Camino coming right. out, um, in, in October. But uh, True. yeah, I mean, you know, it was an Emmy's juggernaut when it came out. Cranston won four times for Best Actor. <sighs> Paul won three times. Anna Gunn won twice. Like, and then won Best uh, Best Drama four times. You know, um, it was basically this was then thrown like passing of the baton in that in that field but 
all those amazing moments are all in those later seasons, this decade, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff with Gus, the whole end game, I think is, is so compelling. And like, I remember before like, I mean, I was like just on Wikipedia and on YouTube, just like refreshing on how things happen, like the, the A to Z of it all. And it's just like, man, you think of just, you know, again, hall of fame episodes, Osman, Ozymandias directed by Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the true greats. I think the, the legacy with Breaking Bad is, you know, this started back in a way, as you said, and it's, you know, we, we kind of had the, 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 the fad in, in TV, the golden age TV, this was coming to end with the, the difficult man protagonist, mm-hmm. right? With Don Draper and Mad Men and Deadwood and Sopranos, of course, mm-hmm. with Tony Soprano, and to a lesser extent, The Wire, you know, Walter oh. White, I think is kind of the, the, the top, uh, I think top choice for that because you truly watch Breaking Bad start front to end and you understand that like you're not supposed to like this guy at the end despite everything you've been through. Like truly watching a character evolve and change obviously credit goes to Gilligan for the, the writing and Cranston for the performance but it's the way that arc goes where um, what the audience thinks they want is not really what they should want. Uh, it, it's it's really hard to hard to pull off, and uh, yeah, I think I think because it's not like 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 Sopranos, Tony Soprano, he's a he's a mobster, you know. We're used to that. We're used to liking someone we know is bad, right? Mm-hmm. But Walt, Walt truly becomes a bad person by the end. Oh, by the end, by like the end of season one. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, sure, but like you know, he you're watches still Jane ride. die by yeah. End of season. Well, what's I the mean, Jane that's stuff the happens? Point. That's season what three, four. Yep. Um, but watching that whole evolution is, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's really special. Mm-hmm. And I mean, <laughs> Breaking Bad's so good that we have Better Call Saul, a show that easily could have made the top ten as well. I just so keep it off just for keeping it interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, having a, a spinoff show with a few characters, but really, it's completely separate. It's about sometimes it's about really mundane stuff like legal work. Mm-hmm. Yet this world that's been created, which truly is just modern day Southwest US, nothing too crazy. <laughs> um, it's just so thrilling and compelling, even when it's often in the details, right? Like you think of an episode like The Fly, where you don't watch really anything get accomplished. But that's what Breaking Bad was. It was really just about the moments in the journey. You know? Yeah, so, man. What, what a show. great show! What what a great show! Um, and what a great decade of TV too. You know, uh, the variety of it, the way that um, there's so much of it now. You know, uh, we we were talking before we started airing, but like neither one of us has watched *Halt and Catch Fire*. Mm-hmm. Um, Justified. Yeah, Justified. It's always sunny. You know, didn't make our list. I think there's uh, people that would ride hard for that being on this sort of list wouldn't have qualified oh it was too much in the last decade gotcha um hannibal a show we haven't gotten to on a lot of lists right now um key and peel broad city yep i mean a couple of the ones i i thought about throwing on here so black mirror um sure was a a show i was debating along with like master of none the deuce Mm -hmm. was up there for me um what were on your honorable mentions? 
Um, another show I haven't watched is Boardwalk Empire. I think mm-hmm. in consideration yeah, people I've watched a lot of it. Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, New Girl, um, a lot of a lot of, a lot of good comics in general. Um, yeah, two other ones for me: uh, The Night of. I think oh, it's yeah. my, fa- my, my favorite miniseries from I believe that was 2015 mm-hmm. on HBO. The Rizamed Breakout. Uh, yeah. I think that's that's a really special one. Um, and then also the Newsroom. Newsroom is a little more polarizing. Mm-hmm. You know, Aaron Sorkin. But especially those first two seasons, uh, I think that's, that's, that show is really great. Uh, Jeff, uh, even from as soon as that Jeff Daniels monologue starts in the, in the pilot, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, I know exactly what this is. I know this is this is Sorkin's Sorkin's politics, mm-hmm. and yeah, I thought it was just really compelling, really great, 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 great stuff. It's the best, best Olivia Munn, yep. we've ever seen with Sloan Sabbath. You know, uh, really yeah. impressive ensemble in general. The the newsroom, the two episodes I always come back to are the pilot for that opening. And then the Kathy Gifford episode where it ends with Fix You with Coldplay. That that moment just always like gets me. It's a, it's a bit cheap using Coldplay for that moment, but whatever. <laughs> um, speaking of miniseries, I want to talk about or use like uh, shorter shows. Uh, true, uh, not True Detective, sorry, Young Pope was uh, something yes. I considered just because, mm-hmm. man, we, I fucking love that season. I know you did too. I can't wait for coming for back January. Um, and True Detective actually was close. Mm-hmm. The second season really is what kept off my list because the second season was just such a mess. Um, right. They're still season I one think, though. Yeah, season one. I mean, McConaughey and Harrelson together, and then even Mahershala in this past season I thought was yep. excellent. He just got nominated for a SAG Award, so and uh, Golden Globe as well. Um, anything else you wanted to shout out? Um, you mentioned Master of None. Hopefully, we get more of that in the future. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some recent stuff. I think Chernobyl was, you know, just, just truly excellent. How did you, um, uh, what did you consider Stranger Things? No. 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 I think Stranger Things gets a lot of points and credit for like the influence and the phenomena aspect of it all. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of the actual show, I think it's, you know, it's just, just, you know, a step down. It's, it's a good show, but, you know, in terms of great seasons, I think Killing Eve season one is really special. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think some, you know, or Succession is another show where I think there's a chance, depending on how long it runs, that could be on our 2020 list. Mm-hmm. Um, tough cut, but the first two seasons of Succession are right up there. Same thing with Mindhunter, you know. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of great shows to, 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 to pick from. Um, uh, it was one other thing I was thinking of. Um, I was going to... Early Sherlock, I think oh, okay. people really like. Uh, first season of Broadchurch. A lot, a lot of good English, uh, UK shows in general. Um, sure. Yeah, you know, the crown. Yeah, you know, there's a lot. Of, season one tomorrow. This is Maisel, perhaps. You know, there's a lot of mm. good stuff. Yeah, definitely. And just two animated shows I wanted to shout out: Rick and Morty and BoJack. I yep. feel like both could could have earned spots on these lists. They're just awesome animated shows that people should be watching. There's so much good TV. You really can't. Barry season one. Yeah, even season two, pretty good. Yep. So I'm sure we'll be talking about it. When we Not talk about our year end list. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> certainly not Westworld. Um, that wraps it up for us, Dave. Do you want to review the list real quick? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 10 Mr. Robot, 9 The Americans, 8 Fleabag, 7 Twin Peaks The Return, 6 Fargo, 5 Veep, 4 Atlanta, 3 The Leftovers, 2 Breaking Bad, and 1 Game of Thrones. 10 Community, 9 Veep, 8 The Good Place, 7 Fargo, 6 Fleabag, 5 Game of Thrones, 4 Parks and Rec, 3 Atlanta, 2 The Leftovers, and 1 Breaking Bad. And that does it for the best TV shows of 
the decade. Uh, drop us your thoughts uh, if you're watching on YouTube or if you hit us up on Twitter at NostalgiaPod. Let us know. Do you agree with our list? What would you have had on there? What would you have changed? Um, mm-hmm. We want to hear what you think are the best TV shows of the decade. Um, a lot, lot to choose from. So I'm sure we can get some very varied lists up there. Um, Dave, we're going to be talking best music of the decade fairly soon. Might not be mm-hmm. next week, but within the next two weeks for sure. Um, and that will wrap up our, our decade lists. But um, stay, stay tuned because I'm sure we'll also be giving some thoughts as we do our wrap up of 2019 as well, which will be coming in recent weeks as well as your regularly scheduled programming with Nostalgia Pod. So hit that subscribe and go to soundcloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod to follow us any way you want. See you next decade. Yeah.